Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Missing Persons Research Hub podcast. On today's episode, we have Larissa. Larissa is a social gerontologist with a research and policy focus on aging, quality of life in old age, and home and community-based care for older adults. She has over 10 years of experience working in the healthcare and nonprofit sector, and previously worked as a research associate for the Canadian Society of Evidence-Based Policing, where she developed and contributed to emerging research on older adults who are reported missing. An accompaniment to this work was her identification of risk factors that led vulnerable, at-risk older adults to go repeatedly missing. She is an advisory committee member for the International Consortium of Dementia and Wayfinding and has presented her research for the Alzheimer's Society of Canada and the Canadian Association on Gerontology, among others. She is liaised with Ontario's Police College to improve police officers' working knowledge of dementia and gone missing and has worked with BC's Centre for Missing Persons to discuss challenges in police responses to missing persons. She recently completed her MA in Sociology at the University of Western Ontario, where she used police data and employed a mixed methods research design to develop a typology for older adults who are reported missing in Canada. Her master's research was funded by the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada, and her work has been published in Policing and International Journal. She's presently employed at the University of Fraser Valley's Community Health and Social Innovation Hub as the lead researcher on individual and institutional experiences of aging and living with dementia. All right, so yeah, we have Larissa on today, and Larissa's here to talk to us about her experiences in the field of missing persons. So welcome, Larissa. Thanks for joining us. Could you tell me and our our listeners a little bit about your experiences in this field and what your research has been about so far? Yeah, absolutely. Hi, everyone. Uh, My name is Larissa Kowalski. Uh, I'm so happy to be here with you today. Um, So to tell you a little bit about myself and my work um, in missing persons, uh, it kind of all started um, about two years ago when I I started my master's degree um, at the University of Western Ontario. And one thing that I was really struck by, I'm actually originally from uh, British Columbia and so just outside of the Vancouver region. Um, And there was a missing person uh, case that was pretty prolific here. Um, that I just remember thinking, oh, this is something that we really need to pay attention to. And it, and it, I guess this shows your, my researcher lens, but immediately um, I went to the point of thinking, okay, well, what does the research say about this missing case? And um, a little bit about myself, my research interests are um, in the field of aging uh, and social gerontology. Um, and so it was this unique missing persons case um, of a person living with dementia. And so that's kind of what sparked my interest. I also had a bit of a personal connection uh, to the individual who went missing. Um, And so from here, I've just, yeah, I've been kind of taking that work and and doing what I can in this field. And um, I'm happy to tell you more about that, but that's kind of the starting point. That's really interesting because you have that unique background where you're intersecting uh, two different disciplines. So you've got the, the field of missing persons and then you've got the aging and gerontology field. So could you tell us a little bit about that connection and how you've kind of bridged those two disciplines in your work? Yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, coming into my master's degree, um, I also was bringing with me um, 10 years working in the nonprofit, nonprofit healthcare sector. Um, and that was kind of my first exposure to uh, social care for seniors, um, and also just becoming aware of what it looked like to age and live in Canada. Um, 
And most importantly, um, for those who don't have a background in gerontology, um, you'll see that our social policies are, are kind of reflective of this idea of um, aging in place or aging independently and safely in the community. Um, and if you kind of map them, what you'll actually see is have an emphasis on these policies about aging in place, um, but unfortunately not always ample support to do so. Um, and so that's kind of where the lens that I bring and that's where, where I, I kind of started from when I approached this work. Um, and you'll see as I kind of have continued in, in the missing person field, um, as we look at um, older adults who uh, frequently go missing, um, one thing that people might find surprising is you might immediately think of um, the stereotypical case of a person who goes missing, which is most often a person living with dementia or a cognitive impairment um, who may go missing. And you may kind of question, okay, well, how is that happening? Because aren't most people living with dementia in long-term care? Well, the reality is, is actually most are living in the community. Um, so about 61% of um, people living with dementia are aging at home. Uh, and sometimes the care that they are receiving, um, if, if necessary, is, is not there. Um, and so that's kind of how I, I bridge those two is I'm really interested in, in how it is that people are, you know, aging in our community and what we can do better uh, to help support them. Um, and that filters into missing occurrences because um, sometimes people go missing um, where they otherwise, if they had different levels of care, um, or support, they may not go missing. And so I'm sure as you can think about for someone to go missing, they need to be missed from someone or somewhere. And if you're living alone with no support services um, and no family um, or anything along those lines, people may not notice you going missing. Um, it might take you know, the community um, finding someone who was out in the middle of the night. Um, so in my research, I've found that that's either rather common um, and so, yeah, anyways, it's just kind of that intersection of those two disciplines that um, has led me here today. There's so many interesting points you just brought up there. Um, okay, <laughs> so first things first, I want to ask, why do you think like there's more um, older adults living at home as opposed to being in the care of an institution or a home? Mm -hmm. So such a great question. And I would say um, largely it's economic reasons. Um, and so if you kind of map our social policies over the past 30 years, um, and we think about our aging population, there just uh, is not enough in infrastructure to support them in long-term care um, facilities. Uh, and so as a result for, you know, economic reasons, we can't just, you know, suddenly build all these perfect, wonderful nursing homes that are supportive and person-centered. It's just, unfortunately, there hasn't been that proactive response to prepare for that. And so consequently, we see um, quite a few older adults um, aging at home and, and instead um, changes such as retrofitting a home are happening um, to better prepare and support our seniors. Um, but that would be kind of the reason that I would say is, is why we're seeing that, that and the cost of um, long-term care is, is so expensive. And, you know, I could get into the sociology of, you know, public provisions, um, changing profit um, for profit organizations. We could go into whole that and um, neoliberalism, but that would be, um, yeah, my thoughts on that. Fair enough. Okay. So then would you say that missing persons has been impacted as a result of these social policies in the sense that those who are um, at home instead of it within care facilities that 
that's impacted an increase in missing persons reports or, you know, where are the trends here in relation to missingness in older adults? Yeah, so um, I would say absolutely that it does, it does have an impact. And so um, that's not to say that people in uh, more secure living facilities do not go missing um, because that's common as well. Uh, it's just that most commonly when I'm looking at the age or, or the aging um, demographic, the older adults who are being reported missing are most often being reported missing from their family home um, or, you know, an apartment dwelling or something along those lines. Um, and so certainly those social policies impact um, whether someone goes missing. If, if uh, someone has you know all the care that they need at their fingertips or um, a safe environment that they can move around in all of those things and the chances of someone going missing are a lot less likely um, and then by same extension um, we can see those things in long-term care um, or independent living facilities so um, when you think of like the tiers of care for um, older adults in our society sometimes you have um, individuals living in long-term care that they don't have, they're, they're maybe in there, but sometimes they feel forced to be in there. And I think um, socially, even myself, as I think about aging, most people um, have been hit with the idea that once they age, the last place they wanna end up is in a home. That that's like this sign of, you know, aging defeat that you haven't been able to do it well. Um, and so then on the alternative, you see quite a few people who are living in a care facility where maybe they're not satisfied or or happy with the care that they're receiving. Um, and oftentimes that pushes people um, to leave. Uh, and, and, and in a way it's considered them going missing, but they're not necessarily really missing. They just want to be out in the world or going for coffee at Tim Hortons or something along those lines that they, they can't access um, in that facility. Um, and that was actually really common. I found that in my thesis work um, when I used uh, missing person reports um, to kind of understand the context of what it looks like to go missing here in Canada. That's great that you bring that up because I want to know more about this thesis work. So that was the work that you did at the University of Western Ontario and you studied older adults and um, missingness, correct? Yes, yeah. Okay, so could you tell us a little bit about like maybe your key findings or your focus of that study um, just so we can understand a little bit more about that research there? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, for my master's work, um, I was very fortunate to um, establish some good connections with um, policing agencies um, across Canada. Um, I wouldn't say that I, you know, you can't, you, you try and cast a wide net, but you, you kind of get what you put out. And so I was fortunate that there was um, two really wonderful agencies that were really receptive um, to evidence-based policing. Um, and recognize that this was something that was important to pay attention to. And so um, through kind of those um, good relationships that I was able to build um, along with my um, wonderful master's advisor, uh, Dr. Laura Huey, um, I was able to access uh, confidential missing person reports uh, from the past five years um, into uh, urban settings. Um, and so uh, my approach to that, and, and maybe actually I'll just give my lens in again, I mentioned that um, uh, prolific missing persons case um, here just outside of Vancouver. Uh, but what drew me in is actually when I was working at that nonprofit um, that I, I mentioned uh, previously, I had worked there for over 10 years. Uh, I, I met this woman um, and she was involved with our nonprofit. And 
I, I can't remember, you know, the details of the relationship and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like we were, you know, best buddies or we were really close, but when she went missing, it was a name that I knew. Um, and I was just so fascinated by that. Um, and what that meant for her when she went missing and, and, you know, as the days went on after the first 24 hours and she wasn't found, you know, the severity increases and you're kind of left wondering, okay, well, what's going to happen. Um, and then the researcher in me was like, you know, what, what is this going to look like for her if there's not good research for our police officers to draw on and um, to locate her, you know, is there research about how far she'll travel? Um, and that would help them narrow a radius, you know, or is there research about um, how soon or how likely she'd be found given her health conditions? Um, is there places she's, she'd be more likely to frequent? Are there locations she's most likely to be found? So not even just the distance she'll travel, but where she'd be found. Um, and so in my thesis work, um, I set out to try and do kind of all of those things um, and it was rather ambitious. I'm really happy and pleased with the final results, but um, that was kind of the focus. So I did all that I could to kind of address um, this concern. That's amazing. I don't know how <laughs> I don't know how you completed that in a master's thesis. That's unreal. So congratulations on that. But what were your key findings? Um, what What were the implications of your study, and what did you really take away from it that could help uh, the field of missing persons? Mm hmm. So uh, I, I guess in, in this regard, it kind of gets back to what I was saying earlier. You know, there's there's a lot of interesting findings um, and I can't go into all the details, but I would say the most central finding is that oftentimes it appeared that older adults, particularly those living with dementia, uh, went missing because of this, what I call an environmental um, and person mismatch, where if the environment was better suited towards an individual's needs, um, they might not have gone missing. Um, and by extension, you know, if the individual was um, in an environment that was supportive of their needs um, and their, you know, the environment was able to match the needs of that individual and the individual had, you know, the capacity to meet the environment, um, that person wouldn't go missing. And so that would be more so my key finding. And so um, I think of things like, um, safe um, walking spaces for people living with dementia. I think of so many different things that we could re-envision and reinvent to have more age-friendly societies um, and communities. And um, yeah, when I think of missing occurrences, that, that's really big. Um, when I talk about dementia being relevant, I found out just over half of the sample um, had um, a diagnosis of dementia. And so obviously that's really important and, and key to pay attention attention to. Um, but I also found that older adults go missing for other reasons than just dementia alone. And I think that's a lens in that in the research community, we haven't paid a lot of attention to. Um, and so that was really important for me because, you know, when you think of the lifespan, um, we, we talk about these ideas of disadvantage or um, challenges that one may go through. Those things don't stop once you turn 65. So that aging process, it's, it's one of continuity. So if there's, you know, mental health challenges um, in, in your youth, that continues through to older adulthood. Um, if there's substance use, it's, it's no different. And so uh, those factors were also really important for me um, to pay attention to. What were some of the, the top reasons that you found outside of dementia for older adults going missing? Mm -hmm. uh, so we found um, uh, most often it was... Uh, 
kind of this need to escape care. So absconding from care was rather common. Um, and there were a host of reasons for that. Um, so sometimes it was, um, you know, discomfort in one's care environment that pushed them to leave. Um, substance use was a big one. Um, mental health was also really significant. And so actually I found more of the sample had a mental health um, uh, disability. That's how it was framed um, in the report. So a mental health disability. Uh, that was more common than actually dementia as a reason to go missing. Um, and so actually I should be careful. I should be careful to say that it wasn't um, the mental health disability that necessarily was the reason that they went missing, but it was a relevant factor to them being missing um, and what being missing looked like. Um, yeah, I found some other interesting things. So um, sometimes people went missing and they weren't actually missing in the sense that they you know, couldn't be found. Sometimes they got injured while missing. Um, so one really interesting finding that I had was um, sometimes the stigma of kind of uh, admitting this idea of age related defeat, like the stigma of conforming to this decrepit old person that people are so resistant to. Um, I'm sure in your own lives, maybe you've come across this. I, I know when I think of my grandmother, she's like very hesitant to use a cane because that's very symbolic of her really being an older person now. Um, and that filtered into the report. So oftentimes there was people who refused to use a cane or a walker, um, and then they just got injured while out on a walk. And so they weren't really missing, but they, people, you know, were expecting them. Their loved ones were expecting them to be at home. They were, they were gone. I find that so interesting. It's like resistance to aging almost. Yeah. Like that could contribute to missingness for older adults. I mean, I have to ask what, what's out there in Canada looking at you know, older adults and missingness. I've, I've not really come across it in my own research because I obviously come from the realm of police responses to missing persons more broadly. So it's kind of an area that I haven't really touched on yet, but that's not to say that it won't come up. So I guess I'm asking like, what's out there? Like, what can we draw from to start to understand this more broadly in Canada? Mm -hmm. um, thank you for that question, Lorna, because um, the sad and frustrating part is there's not much. Um, and so, like in conversations that I've had with search and rescue coordinators across Canada, individual police officers, even, you know, people who are, you know, more advanced in their career. So who kind of work in this, I was really surprised to find that um, more often than not, police are using a handbook that um, for missing persons research that comes out of the US. Um, and the US looks a lot different than Canada. And so I know um, there's a lot of similarities between us and our southern neighbors, but um, it's also not, it's not also the same as, you know, you and I might imagine. So the population looks different. There's a much larger population, you know, um, the geographic area looks different. Our social policies are different. And so that factors into if, you know, someone may go missing and, and it, are there more supports here in Canada or more, are there different supports in the U.S.? So what I would say is it's unfortunate that there's, there's not much. So the handbook, um, that police often use uh, comes from the US and there's a small section on um, Alzheimer's disease, but nothing on older adults more broadly. Um, and so Canadian research in this topic is also kind of at a similar pace where um, my thesis work is the first to address older adults more broadly who've gone missing. Um, so that missing persons data just is not um, publicly available. So um, Lauren, I'm sure you know from your work, uh, uh, 
missing persons data has been released, but it, it's not really been released in the sense that you and I can analyze it. It's just kind of a general fact sheet. And so there's no national statistics about, you know, who's going missing and what that looks like. And so that's why um, I sought after those um, police missing person reports. Um, and then, you know, there's other ways to get at going missing. And so um, some people will use newspaper reports and things like that, but um, that's imper an imperfect science in the sense that sometimes people are missing and it doesn't get media coverage. And actually, if you look at the research outside of Canada on missing persons, and actually I'm gonna cite one of your studies here, Lorna, but um, older adults don't get a lot of media attention um, when they go missing. Yeah, that's the one, the, the Twitter piece that Vincenzo and I did. I found that um, the, for media, sorry, I'm stuttering today, but for media reports are missing persons appeals on Twitter. It was mostly younger children um, and females that were uh, put out on Twitter and actually had the highest amount of engagement. So um, yeah, I found the same in my own research where older adults were generally just kind of invisible and that's where in my own research with police responses I haven't even I've been studying it for nearly four years now which is not maybe a long time but it's enough time to start to understand the scope of the situation and older adults haven't even come up in the conversations um, unless they're directly brought into the conversation by way of questions or paying attention to to matters related to it like silver alert and stuff like that so yeah absolutely it's the same in in my research where um, they're just kind of left out of the conversation, which is kind of problematic, especially with the global aging population. We can probably see that trend increasing in missing persons too. So, I mean, on that note, I want, I want to ask like more broadly then, because your thesis looked at missing persons more broadly um, in relation to older adults, what's the difference between older adults and maybe other missing persons cases like children, like adults? Um, how can we begin to understand this is a particular problem? Yeah, so great question. I just want to, I also wanted to say one more thing about um, the literature before we move on. But yeah, um, one thing that is further interesting in Canada, I did want to say um, there is some, you know, emerging uh, missing persons research um, on people living with dementia. Um, and that's been great to watch that happening. Um, although, again, getting at the scope of missing person cases, it's still just, it hasn't been done. And so, that's, I guess, the part where I come out and I'm frustrated because how can we, you know, start pre prescribing solutions um, to missing person? Because, you know, you know, you mentioned silver alert um, and the efficacy of that. How can we start prescribing solutions to a problem that we don't even understand? Um, and that I find really interesting. So, you know, there's been um, some great work around understanding the use of technology in missing person cases, particularly for those with dementia. And that is wonderful and great work. But again, if we don't understand, you know, the circumstances surrounding going missing or the mechanisms through which people go missing, um, how can we how can we respond to that? And so that's kind of the lens that I bring in um, to answer your question about how going missing uh, looks different if you're an older adult, as opposed to, say, um, a young person in Canada, um, a youth, a child. Um, you know, I, I read in that in that work, and and so I know it to an extent. I don't. I, I definitely do not know it as well as you, Lorna. But um, the most interesting thing that I've found is that uh, there's a gendered component. So, um, from my understanding, um, you for youth, um, girls are more likely to go missing than boys, um, or young women uh, as opposed to young men. 
for missing older adults, it's actually a reverse phenomenon where men are more likely to go missing than women. And that's really interesting when we look at um, that half the population has dementia of some form um, and considering what we know about Alzheimer's disease. So um, women are more likely to um, have Alzheimer's disease than men. And we also know that mm -hmm. women are more likely to live into old age than men. So it's kind of this interesting thing where, um, you know, we have more women with Alzheimer's disease. We have more women who are aging, yet more men are going missing. And so that's really fascinating. Um, and actually in my thesis work, um, some of the things that I found kind of really fascinating about how gender is related is that um, women are less likely to have a repeat missing occurrence. Um, so men, again, more likely to go missing and repeatedly go missing. Um, and women are more likely to be found quicker. Um, and so I, I can't help but wonder in that regard, if the reason women are being found more quickly is again, you're gonna hear my sociolog um, sociological lens, but I can't help but wonder <laughs> if it's this idea that women are you know, in need of rescue or in need of saving. And so um, when you think of policing as predominantly a male profession, if, if that filters into their response protocols. Yeah, that's really interesting, the gender phenomenon component. Do you have any speculation as to why more males do go missing uh, in the older adult population? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I have some speculations. Um, I would say one, there, you know, there's a couple of ways you can kind of get at this. It could just be that um, when you look at that demographic, um, you're often looking at a demographic that uh, their lives looked a lot different than your eyes. And so you had a lot more labor participation um, of men in the workforce than we have now. Um, and so, you know, you see that more equal division of labor between men and women, but we're looking at a demographic where it was more, more likely that men would leave the home and go to work and women would more often stay at home um, and take care of children, clean the home, respond to those needs, um, as opposed to kind of going on to work. Or if they did, their work was more precarious or part-time or um, casual. And so, I'm curious to see if, if maybe one of the reasons is that men are more likely to just um, leave the house because that's what they've always done. And so maybe they get out more, it, you know, it, it's tough to know. Um, and I'm not saying that that's, you know, a perfect hypothesis, but it may factor in. Um, one thing that I did find um, through an analysis of the reports that I was looking at for my thesis work is that men are more likely to not ask for help. And so that was interesting. So they may find themselves in situations where they're out in the community um, and they may just, you know, for, again, other reasons, such as what it means to be, you know, a good man, I don't need any help, I can figure it out for myself. Um, and I actually, it was funny, like in some of the reports, there was family quoting like lines like that, like, oh, my dad is really stubborn. I know for sure if he was out right now, he wouldn't be willing to ask for help. He would just have to, he would just figure it out on his own. Um, and so... I, I think that that could be another reason that when they're out and maybe they are lost, there's not um, as much of a willingness to depend on others for help. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. You know what, though, Larissa, throughout this whole conversation, I'm just like, wow, just much more research needs to be done. And it's great that you conduct this work for your thesis as an initial starting point, at least a base for us to draw from. Um, but then I, I have to ask, like, what's the next steps for you? Are you thinking about doing more research in this field? Um, are you thinking about, um, you know, committing to research in your own workplace? Like what's what's the next steps? Yeah, so um, 
the next steps are that there's so much to do and I want to do it all, but I can't do it all, but I'm on the process of, of trying to do what I can. So um, I'm currently working at the uh, Community Health and Social Innovation Hub um, at the University of the Fraser Valley. Um, and so I've been really fortunate to have that work during these, you know, challenging times with the pandemic. And it's been great, you know, um, my work has been really excited about um, my thesis work and how we can extend on that um, and how I can continue to build that research out. And so I have lots of ideas of what I'd like to see. Um, one thing that I'm excited about that um, should we kind of be successful with some funding opportunities uh, is working on a localized level with um, community members uh, in the Fraser Valley to address missing occurrences involving older adults. And so um, there's been some interest in with police um, locally um, where I work um, in that community and also community partners who have a vested interest in this and in coming together at a table to discuss some innovative ways where we may we start to think about preventing or better responding to these occurrences. And so um, BC Silver Alert Society has been intrigued in that. And so I'm always in talks with them and seeing what we can do um, to alleviate this. Um, but that's kind of my lens in right now. And you know, I won't say that a PhD isn't in the future. And so maybe that would be my next lens in, but there's also some other areas of future research um, that I see need to be done and I want to do. And um, it's just a matter of kind of getting out there and doing it, so. Yeah, that's great to hear. I mean, this is what the podcast and the hub is for, the Missing Persons Research Hub is for. So I guess if anyone's listening and they're interested in the work that Larissa's doing, um, it sounds like she's happy to hear from you. So definitely reach out. Um, and then I guess we're getting close to the end of the, the podcast episode here. And so I want to open the floor to you, Larissa. Do you have any calls to action that you'd like to put on the table here? Yeah, I guess if I had my perfect world and you know, um, someone who has the power and authority um, to make major investments in um, community care for older adults and long-term care. Um, this would be my call to action. This is me saying, um, our older adults need your help. They need, their, they need your support. And I think um, the pandemic has made that um, just so, um, so clear is that, you know, um, we've seen some very harrowing outcomes in long-term care across Canada. And I think this is our wake-up call. This is us saying, okay, we need to do better. We need to do more. Um, those gaps in service provision have become abundantly clear now. Um, and so I guess that would be my immediate call to action is um, we need to do better. And so I, that's kind of what I would say. Um, and then for anyone interested in research in this field, please um, feel free to send me an email and I'm always looking forward to um, new collaborations and projects that I can take on on the side. And I think there's some very interesting things about um, community responses uh, to missing persons. And so if you're interested in social media and community, feel free to reach out. Like I have so many ideas on how we can um, build this research. And if there's anyone on the West Coast um, who's involved in this and just wants to kind of figure out where to get a lens in, um, send me a message and I would love to talk to you. I love that. I'll make sure uh, that I pop your contact information in the little blurb at the bottom of this podcast for you, Larissa, and for anyone listening. Um, and then before we let you go, is there any other final thoughts or things that maybe you want to draw back to or touch base on that I've kind of skimmed over here? No, I think that's great. I think, um, yeah, I, I, that's all I got right now. So thank you. <laughs> 
Okay, well, thanks, Larissa, for coming on to talk about your thesis work and your research on missingness in older adults. I am pretty confident that we'll have you back on to hear more about some of your stories and your experiences in this field. I know you're going to be doing great work. So thanks for that. Um, and I hope you have a great day. Take care. Thank you so much, Lorna. It was great talking with you and I'm looking forward to doing it again. Thanks for tuning in to the Missing Persons Research Hub podcast. Until next time.